Looking for a way to level up your coaching and win more? Get better fast with GMS Plus. GMS Plus is your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Learn from some of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmsted, Keegan Cook, John Spraw, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson. I've learned a great deal from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. And we have a Coach Your Brains Out code for listeners. To get 20% off an annual subscription, go to goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter the code CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. All right, we're excited to welcome back to the show one of the best volleyball coaches of all time, Hugh McCutcheon. Hugh, welcome back to the show. Easy there, mate. But uh, I appreciate it. Thank you. And um, yeah, flattery will get you everywhere, it turns out. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah, I think the way we view you for sure, and we really look up to you in, in the volleyball community and I appreciate you appreciate taking the time it. to do this again. So no, no, I I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> like you, I was just doing my job, but um, happy to be here again. And you know, maybe uh, have a chat and see what we can get get done here. Yeah, no, we're excited to learn from you once again. So we know you wrote a book, and we want to get into that soon. But sure. first, uh, I don't know if you're open to to sharing. Uh, you know, recently retirement, we want to celebrate that. And if you're open to retiring, uh, talking about the decision to retire and, and maybe talking sure. about your, your new role. Yeah. I mean, I think retirement's a bit of a stretch. Uh, I'm still gainfully employed and, um, you know, I haven't hit the links or anything just yet. So uh, really it's more of a pivot and I still feel like I'm coaching. It's just in a different space in a different realm, really. So, um, you know, I, I, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh it's, it's crazy how the, the years kind of creep up on you. And I just felt, um, especially in light of, you know, the TED talk and the book and all the stuff, if, if I didn't try to pivot now, I probably never would. And, and, um, so at some point the idea of exploring more, this, this notion of, um, a comprehensive or, or maybe a more unified approach to, to, um, achievement, uh, through, through, you know, kind of the art and the science of it, not just here's the science, but how do you actually apply it and how does it work in the day-to-day? That always seemed like an intriguing thing to me. Um, so I just feel really fortunate that I have this rare opportunity to to try to apply that. And that will be coaching coaches at UM, right? That's kind of the role? Yeah, so it's a, a like an assistant athletic director in charge mm-hmm. of coach and sport development. Um, and, and really I'm not here to tell anyone how to do their job. I'm just trying to help everyone do their job and, Mm. um, provide maybe a little, uh, a little bit different connection perhaps between the kind of the admin side and the coaching side. I think, uh, especially in this day and age coaching collegiately, and I'd say probably coaching in general is, is a little more complicated than it, than it has been in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, a few more things you've got to attend to and, um, maybe having someone that's that's uh, taken a step in their shoes more recently probably uh, can help. And then and then this book actually became this uh, significant conduit to 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 the whole thing because um, you know the the idea of me doing it without having something really clear in terms of framework would feel a little self indulgent. 
mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden it's me waxing on philosophical about my, you know, whatever these, this various campaign we did here and how we did these things. And th- that's not what it's about at all. Um, obviously I've had some experiences. I can't change my history and, and, and it's nice to have that anecdotal support, but the thing that's been consistent is kind of the application of these ideas or principles across all these different levels um, and to have that buttoned up in the book and then be able to say, hey, you know, coaching men and women and collegiate and and uh, and Olympics and, and professional men. So kind of five different groups and having similar levels of competitive success while applying these same principles. It, it seemed to kind of make sense that I could maybe then be a, a credible source of knowledge and information. Yeah, no, that's so awesome. The coaches at Minnesota are so so lucky and uh it's exciting to see the impact you'll make there do, do you think we'll ever see you on a volleyball sideline again uh, i'd never say never i i just um yeah i i, I haven't really thought about it uh i just know that that it felt like it was about time and and uh i i really enjoyed it that you know i mean what a what a great uh thing to be a part of the, the moment of competition and all that stuff but um it just felt like th- this was time to try to go in a different direction and see how that felt Cool. Well, let's get into the book. Uh, it's called Championship Behaviors. I guess to start, what inspired you to write it? Well, uh, a lot of things, I guess. <laughs> First and foremost, um, going back to this idea of as I as I was going through coaching with these different populations over the years, and um, kind kind of identifying common threads, I guess through through the different campaigns not so much in terms of you know the teams were all different the levels were all different the people were all different but you know here were these principles that was were, were the same and it was this idea of being able to apply them to different populations um because as we know coaching excuse me co- coaching is not algorithmic um it's not controlled outputs leading to sorry controlled inputs leading to controlled outputs it's this idea of being able to work with a group and, and play to their strengths and, and maybe shore up their weaknesses and all that kind of stuff. So as I got to this point in my career, um, you know, I, as I said, I've always been interested in this idea of coach development. I think it's one of the real spaces in our current uh, kind of sporting world. And, and what I mean by that um, is as, you know, as I said in the book, I was, I was doing some research and found this very random, but kind of, uh, strange statistic, I guess, that there's 5,300 or so universities, uh, 57 of which are offering undergraduate degrees in coaching. And, you know, if, if we, if we paired that back to, you know, my, my son, uh, our son is currently in, in seventh grade, right? He's 12 years old. His math teacher has a degree in mathematics and a certification in teaching. Um, and his, his basketball coach, uh, I don't know if he has a degree. I don't know if he has a certification or anything. Um, but I, I think coach probably has a bigger influence influence than teach. And so the, the thing that I I could see in, in all these levels of coaching from youth sport through to collegiate and Olympic was, um, you know, this, this coaching business is really complicated. I, I think anyone who believes it's just you know, te- coaching or, or, or let alone teaching, um, oh, oh, that it were. I mean, it seems to be, I used to say coaching was about 20% of what we did. It feels like it's gotten down to about 15 now. But on top of that, th- there's no academic rigor. Well, how about this? There's a, there's a, a lack of academic rigor. And so we tend to be very tradition-based in this profession. We tend to 
like we parent the way we were parent, we tend to coach the way we were coached. All I wanted to do was maybe try to fill in some of the spaces so that coaches weren't feeling like they were just on an island, that they they had a resource or something to go to to at least get them to think. I'm not interested in telling people the right or the wrong way to do it. I just, I'm more interested in, I guess, effective and efficient methods. And so being able to use my experiences and then having connected with some really brilliant people in their respective fields and and take on their knowledge and then be able to kind of, uh, I don't know, synthesize all of that into this body of work. Um, yeah, it seemed like really a cool, cool project to, to take on. And that was that. Yeah, that's really cool. I wanted to go back to the you talked about the influence, you know, your seventh grade basketball coach would have on your son and how it's a yeah. huge influence. And they don't there's no barrier to entry. You know, anybody can be a coach and it's such an important profession. So I guess I think about that space. The issue is a lot of people volunteer, like they're yeah, offering sure. their time to do it. So what do, what do we do? Is it, I mean, reading your book is one great step, but how do, how do, is there need to be more barriers even on a volunteer level? Well, yeah. What I think is the most, most of the barriers we're worried about, are the, the ones that could lead to some kind of litigious harm, <laughs> you know, like the, and, and they should be right. I mean, we want to keep our kids safe. No question. That being said, um, I I don't know how how we could do this, but the idea of giving all coaches like a little ten page booklet of here's here's a few things you should be thinking about in terms of practice design or drill constructs or you know just get them thinking a little bit about how to plan a practice and how to teach to it versus the idea that it's that it's all about coaching because again that that's a really important distinction in my mind the idea of teaching and coaching and you have to be able to do both. But what I think is our coaches coach, they, their examples are, you know, the NBA or whatever. And so everyone's got a clipboard or a, or a little whiteboard and they're putting out plays and doing all this stuff. And, you know, the kids can't pass or catch or, or you know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> so what does it matter? We got these, yeah. these great systems, but we can't, we can't execute. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think at some point, just the idea that, hey, maybe you want to think about this a little differently. You know, the TED Talk thing I did um, was, again, kind of connected to that narrative of like sport has to be more than just wins and losses. It has to be a bigger value add to society than just the outcomes. And, you know, the coaches become a really important conduit to that. So can we can we get especially our volunteer coaches whose careers aren't on the line? Can we get mm -hmm. them to be about development? than they are about wins and losses. And that means that a lot of different stakeholders have to remove their ego probably from the outcome. But can we, you know, I use the the analogy in the book of young kids who, you know, are eight or nine or whatever, and they're already being put into a position and having specialization be part of their sporting narrative. When we, we don't know how tall they're going to be, or I don't know if, if Magic Johnson had only been allowed to play forward, would he have been one of the best guards in the history of the NBA? You know, but mm -hmm. because he was tall, you know, he could have easily been pigeonholed into that. And that's a convenient example, I understand. But I think that that's exactly what we're speaking to, this idea of like, we don't know what kids are going to be five to eight years down the road. So why limit them? Why not have everyone do everything as long as we can? And there's research to support that that's a, a pretty viable way to do it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. 
I'm, I'm curious one more along this line because as I've been watching my daughter who's in fourth grade mm-hmm. I've I go and watch her practices and it, it can be painful to watch with someone who cares so much about coaching and and has studied it and part of me is like well it's not my job to go tell them what to do but right. the other part of me is like, well, I really want the, my daughter to have a good experience and to love sport. So right. I don't know, I guess, how do you interact if you're watching, you know, your son and, and the practice is, um, yeah. you know, not, not principle based or, you know. Yeah. Not- like you, I try to stay, I stay well clear of it and I don't say anything. Um, but yeah, like you, I also question whether that's, you know, quote unquote, the, the appropriate action. Um but I, I do offer, you know, hey, if if you'd ever like to talk about it, I'm around, you know, but uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I think that that's another space that we have to be wary of is that right. the, the parents getting overly involved in all of this as well. So, um, yeah, I just tell them, tell them well done and, you know, get on with it and go from yeah. there. But, you know, again, this idea of the book, maybe that becomes a really objective way to, to maybe I said giving out copies of that or if we get to this place where we can have like a, you know, a short, short and sweet, you know, here are the high notes kind of little pamphlet that we can distribute. Maybe that helps too. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It is. Yeah. John just goes outside and paces the parking lot. Yeah. Well, I think it's Kiss. Kiss always says like, you don't, or he he would always talk about, you don't want to be the coach that had, you know, where the kid quits the, 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 the kid's last coach. You know, that's, that's the one you don't want to be. And, and um, I I never really thought about it like that, but I I can see what he means, especially in youth sport where, Mm -hmm. you know, so much, there's so much going on above and beyond whatever's happening on the field of play. So, you know, can we make this a really good and, and not good as in warm, fuzzy and, and group hug. I'm talking about good as in, you know, learn to work, learn to learn, learn to compete you know, can we, can we get some tools here that can, can be applicable in their, in their current circumstance and beyond? Can we get that for them? And so they feel like they're being equipped with things versus maybe being judged or, or punished or whatever for their outcomes. So you mentioned um, how most coaching is just from tradition. Uh, I guess yeah. what, what took you down a more evidence-based approach? And then I guess what steps would you recommend for those newer coaches when all they know is kind of how they've been coached? Yeah, well, I was incredibly lucky to, um, you know, land at BYU, no question. You know, uh, McGowan uh, and and his ability to pull his knowledge of motor learning, obviously a former motor learning professor, pulled that into the gym and and kind of codified a lot of that research into into the, this idea of teaching and coaching, I think, uh, for me, was, was really impactful because uh, – you know, one of the things I I try to talk about in the book to build a little empathy for the process of improvement is that, that I started playing volleyball quite late, and and I was always feeling like I I had to play catch up. So I was I was very interested in the idea of efficient and effective, and that's certainly um, you know what what motor learning principles bring to to your practices is this idea of like hey we can there's a there can be a method to this madness, versus just somehow you know reps. And, and without really too much structure or feedback, um, the idea that it can be a very clearly delineated plan for your improvement, I mean, that, that seemed really compelling. And, you know, once you get into that line of thought and then you see it, do I, well, I, as a player, I was in that gym for three years and then I went and played uh, in Finland for a year. I played in Japan for a year. 
And it was frustrating because all of a sudden, you know, you, you're like, man, you're, you're making this much harder than it needs to be. We can use logic. We could use rational thought about how we go about doing this in a really um, clear, defined kind of way versus whatever you get when, when you're playing in these different gems. So anyway, again, it's not about good or bad. It was just this idea of like efficiency. And so as I got into coaching, um, trying to build, and I, I, I think I've always, I'm always trying to learn. I'm always trying to get better, but that idea of building that body of knowledge and kind of adding to it and finding all these different realms and different people that could maybe find complementary or even augmentary pieces that could, they could not only add to it, but build it. Um, that, that's kind of been a cool pursuit. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, it's always fun to hear, you know, anytime Carl comes up, just his, his influence on the whole community. So, mm. and I know. Uh, Profound. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so in the book, I think it's page 32 in my, my notes, I got your book all noted up. I have to show oh, you a wow. copy of it, but okay. uh, you, you have a, a section that, that was really pow powerful for me. We talked about the difference between someone who coaches and someone who is the coach, basically what you are oh, versus right. what, sure. you, what you do. Yeah. How, do you, how do you define that distinction or how do you see it? Well, uh, to me, it's the big trap in our profession, you know, that, that once you kind of uh, uh, cross that bridge from someone who coaches to becoming coach, whatever that means, right? I mean, it's goofy. I have, a, I have an athletics director named Mark Coyle. I don't call him director, right? I just call him Mark. <laughs> And he he would like call me and like Mark, you can call me whatever you want, but you don't need to call me coach. You can Hugh, Hugh's gonna work just fine. But it's weird that we have these these hierarchical constructs around around coaching. So what that what that tends to lend itself to, I guess, is the idea that you can you can get used to that idea of people giving you that reverence or that respect or that power or influence that that's given, that it's not necessarily earned. And so it it gets a little goofy and, and now you're a coach and, you know, the wins become Euro wins and the, you know, it's not about the team and it's not about development. It's not about helping the student athletes or, or the athletes or whatever level you're at. And so, yeah, that, that temptation of ego is really what I'm speaking to. In my opinion, coaches, we, we should be service providers and the service we provide is helping the people under our, charge to become the best they can be or achieve the goal they've set out to achieve. Um, and as I said in the book, you know, it's not about us, but it is up to us. But once it, once it becomes about the coach, well, I think it, it gets different. And I think it becomes really limiting in terms of what, what the team can actually achieve or the athlete can actually achieve. And probably it's, it's, um, it's unsustainable for some of the coaches, at least in terms of being able to live in this kind of, you know, ethical put your head down at night and sleep straight kind of space you mentioned last time um how important it is to be a salesperson as a coach yeah uh, last time we talked to you um do you have any tips or suggestions on how to get better at sales because that's something that just makes me cringe when i when i first think about it yeah um, how do we improve that uh that salesmanship well the, the reason i say that uh salesperson piece is just just this idea that we need the buy-in right one of the great things about principle-based methods is that they're self-evident that they work and so that's all you need to do is just you know use use principles in your methods and that generally works out really well and i'm not saying this thing's prescriptive so you know maybe how you frame it or how you do it 
probably matters. But as long as the guiding principles are based in based, excuse me, in best practice, then you're going to affect change. And then the buy-in gets easier and easier. You know, one of the things that we say is, you know, athletes get addicted to improvement. So if you could show that you can shift the needle, then it gets to be pretty good after that. But it's not selling like a used car. You know, what we're, we're not that. We're we're selling, you know, uh, fundamental skill mastery and, and uh, you know, high-functioning team culture and the ability to play well with others, all that kind of stuff, you know. So we're, we're trying to sell a product that probably you believe in, so it's easier to sell and it's easy to get them to believe in because, like I said, it, it works. And then I guess, have you had to have conversations with, I guess, resistant players that don't buy in? Um, any strategies around around that? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where you need to, um, hey, just try it out and see. <laughs> well, and maybe there's two camps to that. Can we get to the point where we have enough chits in the emotional bank account to just get them to dip their toe in the principle-based pond and see what that does for them? Or there's also going to be athletes that are uh, really good at what they do. Like, so when I coached the national teams, um, you know, technically some, there were some inefficiencies, but some of these players at the moment of contact looked perfect. So did we care so much about how they got there? No. The fact that when, when they were hitting it or when they were making contact with the ball, they were, they were where they needed to be. That was enough. So Again, you got to kind of choose your battles, I guess. But um, I'm I'm not saying that if if it isn't broke, you should fix it. Um, I guess what I'm saying is, as you go through it, everybody's going to have some differences about how they do these things, and we're going to have this. Let's imagine a continuum of of fundamental mastery that we're we're trying to get people along, you know, as far as we can. Um, but you know, maybe maybe we just don't have that capacity, so we got to get them as far as we can and just be cool with that. You know, I love love the phrase you said, the emotional bank account and get, getting chips in it. How, how do you get chips in it? Well, consistency, right? Um, again, if you if you can show people that uh, that the space between what you're saying and what you're doing is really small. So, first of all, hey, I'm a service provider. It's I'm here to help you and you can help them in lots of different ways. And one of them would be uh, you're a knowledgeable and credible source of information uh, that you can coach them and teach them in a way that works for them. And again, you know, the, I think the days of coaches, that whole dictatorial mindset of I say jump and you say how high or whatever, that, that's done, right? You've got to meet them where they're at and be able to coach people to who they are and even teams to who they are, right? And that changes year to year. But I think the idea of hey, I'm in it with you and and I'm here to help. You don't have to beat me and beat the opponent. You know, I'm just here as a value add for you. I think that lends people to be a little more vulnerable and a little more open to, to change because in all of these spaces, in, in the coach-player uh, relationship, I guess we'll call it, or the coach-player interaction, um, you have the ability to, to show consistency and build trust by saying what you do and doing what you say. And, and if you can do that, then, you know, you, that, that keeps building. Staying on the sales theme, I hear sales a lot come up in recruiting and especially people mm. say you have to sell yourself as a coach and right. that's something I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with. I think Billy's not so good at it either. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. but do you think that's an area that's important in recruiting? Like, do you have to be able to sell yourself? Is that something, a skill you should develop? 
uh, I think in in the recruiting process, our pitch for what it's worth was was not great. <laughs> uh, hey, if you want to work hard, learn, compete, and be a great teammate, this is a really good place. If you don't want to do those things, it's probably not the right fit. And not because we're anything other than clear about what's driving us. So I think in terms of selling, because I get it, it's such a, I, I kind of, now that you're saying this, Billy, I kind of, I'm cringing the fact that I said that, even though I understand <laughs> them, it was the right thing to say, but it, it implies all kinds of other, well, it opens the window to dodgy interpretation. There's uh, nuance, yeah. Yeah, all I'm saying in in, in terms of sells, sell it is, uh, to thine own self be true, right? It, it, it's it, whatever you're selling in your program is got to be who you are, what you're about, what your program's about. And, you know, whatever your personal narrative is, you know, if you're worth your salt, then yeah, have them just tell them like, Hey, go ask people if I'm any good, I, you know, <laughs> that's fine. But here's what I think we can do. And, and I believe in this thing that we're building and, and I'm in it. And I think for the athletes that, that resonates with, it's going to work. And for the athletes that want guarantee, like we would never guarantee people starting positions or playing time. Um, we just guaranteed that we'd invest in everyone's development. And so for people that wanted guarantees, you know, it's probably not the place for you. If you don't want to work hard every day, don't, don't come here. If you're not comfortable getting a little bit worse to get a whole lot better than this, again, that, you know, this is probably isn't a good fit. So I, I think you save yourself a lot of pain by, by being really, open and honest about who you are and what you're about and what's driving you. And that's not really selling to me. That's just communicating, but there is, it, it, it is a transaction. I understand that, but to get the buy-in, I think as long as you're true to you, that'll resonate with your, with your recruits or it won't. And there you go. So maybe if you had showed up with your medals around your neck, you get some <laughs> higher level players, but, but you end up with uh, people who aren't the right fit, right? Is that, does that sound right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just think, you know, that there's this notion of one of the things I said in the book is, you know, we, we can't all get five-star talent, but we can be five-star teachers and we can maybe help those athletes to become five-star learners. And so um, I, I think there's an opportunity as you go through this to, yeah, I mean, you need talent no question you can't win the derby on a donkey you need some thoroughbreds but maybe who they are their senior year of high school is not who they're going to be their senior year of college and and if you can affect change and if you feel like you can teach and really help them to get better then you know and they're they're invested in that process of change as well then then i think maybe it's it's okay if you don't get the top top kid maybe you get someone who's close and and see if you can help them out and then they'll help you out Another thing you talk about in the book, uh, an area area of improvement for myself is uh, the downsides of sarcasm as a coach. Can you, can mm. you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So um, the, the thing, and it took me a while to get my head around it too, because I, I uh, like a good uh, witty repartee as much as the next person. But um, that being said, I do think that sarcasm can create spaces and so it's all about efficiency for me so even though you might say something kind of deadpan and you're and you're joking 
if that athlete has to spend any time or energy wondering if what you said was real or a joke or you know some kind of judgment or whatever well that's time and energy that they're not spending on the task at hand and so i just think it was more like you can become a distraction and yeah you can create spaces but you become a distraction and, and maybe you someone's in a good space and you go with a and it lands flat and now their progress is you know maybe not so good on that day and you lose a day of practice